Jesus came to die, not because he deserved to die, but because we deserve to die. And he satisfied the wrath of God against our sins by dying in our place. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. How far was God willing to go in order to adopt sons and daughters into His family? Hello there, I'm Bill Wright. Today we continue the series, The Christian's DNA. You know, the scripture teaches that God is love, and God's love consists of both words and deeds. He puts his love on display by sending his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for the sins of everyone who would ever believe in him. And three days later, God resurrected him from the dead. How does that connect to his adopting you, Christian? You receive the benefit of Christ's life, death, and resurrection. God is able to adopt you as a son or daughter into his family. You receive his spiritual DNA, and all from the work of Jesus. That's how deep the Father's love is for us as his family. Let's join Tom now as he opens God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. So God loves all people, but listen carefully, that doesn't mean that God loves all people in the same way and with the same intensity. Verse 1 makes that very clear. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God. God loves His own with a unique, special, eternal, adopting love. We're often identified as those God uniquely loves. For example, in Romans chapter 1, verse 7, Paul writes to the Christians in Rome, and listen to how he describes them, to all who are beloved of God in Rome. He wasn't saying the rest of the people living in Rome didn't, didn't know the, or weren't loved by God in some regard, but he's saying, you believers, you are the unique object of God's love. The same thing in Second or rather 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4, brethren beloved by God. And God's special love for His own is always moving toward a specific goal. And that goal was adopting us as His own children. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Paul begins his letter to the church in Ephesus with this amazing long sentence that begins in verse 3 and runs all the way down through verse 14, just one sentence in the Greek text, but he begins this way in verse 3, "'Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ.'" He says, the Father is the one who has initiated this plan of redemption. And then he goes on in verses 4 through 6 to describe the Father's role in the plan of redemption. Now, you understand that all the members of the Trinity act together in all that they do. We have one God in three persons. So, 
It's not that one person in the Trinity does something and, and the other members don't contribute at all, but rather what the Scriptures are clear is that one member of the Trinity takes the lead in certain activities, and this is what the Father did in the plan of redemption. Notice verse 4, just as He, that goes back to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, so we're talking about the Father, just as the Father chose us. The word chose means to select out from a larger group. That's what He did. He, cho- he selected us from a larger group in Christ, and He did so without reference to us before the foundation of the world. In other words, His choice, His selection was unconditional. It wasn't conditioned on anything in you or me. And then He says, why? He chose us to what end, to what goal, and He gives three ends here. First of all, personal holiness, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. God chose us, selected us to make us holy, to make us like His Son. Verse 6 gives the third of those goals, and that is God's glory to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us and the Beloved. But go back to the second goal God had in mind in choosing us. The end of verse 4, in love He predestined us. That is, He predetermined our destiny. And what was the destiny He predetermined us to? Adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself. I love the last part of verse 5, according to the kind intention of His will literally according to His good pleasure. In other words, God in love predetermined to adopt you, but He didn't do so grudgingly. He did so with His whole heart, with delight, with joy. What an amazing truth. Why? Why did God set His love on you and me? The answer here is because He had decided to adopt us. Now, many of you here this morning, you get this in a way the rest of us don't. You get it in a unique and personal way. If, if you are adopted or if you've adopted children, you understand what it means to select out of a group a child on whom you will set your love and whom you will adopt into your family. Folks, that is exactly what God did for you. If you've passed the test, if you're a Christian, if you're a true follower of Jesus Christ, that is what God did in your case. He has chosen you for adoption, to adopt you as His own child. That's the reason He set His love on you. I like the way Lloyd-Jones says it. He says, we are what we are not because of our goodness, not because of our lives, not because of anything in us. It all comes from the love of God, that everlasting, inscrutable love Whatever made Him look upon us, you ever ask yourself that question? Whatever made Him look at me, choose me, Lloyd-Jones says, why, we don't know. It's amazing. While we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. While we were sinners and opposed and aliens, it was then He did it. We are beloved of God. God loves all mankind, but that's not the kind of love John's talking about in verse 1. It's God's unique, special love by which God calls sinners, those who were His enemies, now His children. Thirdly, 
God's adopting love is a supreme love. It's a supreme love. It's of the highest quality. It's the greatest love. The Greek word translated how great in verse 1 only occurs seven times in the New Testament. It literally means of what kind or of what class. In the New Testament, when it is used, it normally implies being amazed, being filled with wonder. There's a sense of awe and admiration when you see something that's truly amazing. You remember when the disciples were in the boat there on the Sea of Galilee, Jesus was asleep, the storm came and was raging, and the ship was going to sink, and Jesus gets up, and He speaks to the wind and the wave, and suddenly it all goes deathly quiet. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 27, this is how the disciples responded. It says, the disciples were amazed and said, here's our phrase, what kind of man is this? What kind of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey Him? You see, the disciples affirm that Jesus fits in an entirely different category than any man they had ever met before. What kind of man is this? And that is exactly what John is saying in chapter 3, verse 1 of his letter. He's saying, what kind of love is this? What category do you fit this love in? And the answer is there is no category but this one. This is how it fits. The Father's love for us is in an entirely different category from any love we have ever experienced. John says, consider how great, how wonderful, how amazing is the Father's love. It's impossible to fully understand it. It is incomprehensible. It's like Paul says of Christ's love in Ephesians 3, verses 18 and 19. He says, I'm praying Ephesians, that you will be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. If I can borrow Paul's words, Christian, ask the Father to help you grasp the height and depth and length of His love for you, and then go to the Scripture and learn the dimensions of His love. Consider the height of God's love. Psalm 103, verse 11, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love toward those who fear Him. You walk outside after the service and you look up in the sky and scientists tell us that what you see, the outer ranges of, our, of our, what we think of as our sky the edge of space is 62 miles above you when you walk outside, 62 miles up. But scientists have more recently discovered that our atmosphere actually extends out farther than that. They now say it extends out 6,200 miles from the surface of the planet. That's the height of God's steadfast love. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His love toward those who fear Him. It can't be measured. It can't be exhausted. Imagine walking outside after the service and, and seeing all of that atmosphere that surrounds you and being afraid that you're going to consume all the oxygen that's there. Same thing is true of the love of God. You will never, ever exhaust it. It's as high 
as the heavens are above the earth. Consider the length of God's love. Psalm 103 verse 17 says, the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him. Christian, God's love for us reaches back as far as we can go into eternity past when He set His love upon us and decided to adopt us as His children. It reaches forward into eternity future to everlasting, and it never ends. His love for us is always there. If I look back as far as possible, and if I look forward as far as I can from vanishing point to vanishing point, what I see is that the Father has always loved me and always will. There has never been, nor will there ever be a time in the eternal existence of God when He has not or will not love me. And Christian, the same is true for you. That's how long He's loved you. That's the length of God's love. Consider the depth of God's love. How far down does God's love reach? How far down was His love willing to go on our behalf? Well, all the way from heaven because He allowed His Son to leave heaven's glory to come to earth and not only to come and walk on this planet, but to go so far down that He became one of us. He became one of His creatures. He took on Himself, on himself full humanity and became everything that you are except for sin but he kept going down. His love kept going farther because then he humbled himself, Paul says in Philippians 2, to the point of death. He died for you. But he went even farther down because he didn't just die. He didn't die a glorious death. He died, according to Philippians 2, the death of a criminal because you were and I was a criminal. And he died as a criminal in our place, satisfying the justice of God. That's how deep the love of God is. But His love goes even deeper because not only did He die for us, but then the eternal perfect God adopts us into His family as His own sons and daughters. That's what John is saying here. But even farther down, think about this, Christian. God loves us as He loves His one-of-a-kind Son. He decided to set love on us and treat us just like His Son by nature, even though we are His adopted children. You say, is that biblical? Yes, it is. John 17, 23, Jesus prays and He says, Father, You loved them even as You loved me. Let that sink into your mind for a moment. That's the depth of God's love for us. God's love is supreme. God's adopting love is also a sovereign love. It's a sovereign love. It's interesting that John doesn't say here in verse 1 that God loved us. Instead, he, he says the Father has bestowed love on us. The Greek word translated bestowed is the normal Greek word that means to give. God has given His love to us. John's point is that God decided to love us, and this fits so well with the rest of Scripture that emphasizes the reason God loves His people is not because of anything in them. God's love for me and you is not conditioned on us. 
God didn't look down and say, wow, there's a lovable one. I'm going to love him. I'm going to love her. No, it had nothing to do with us. God's decision to love was based entirely on his own sovereign, gracious decision. And this is where human adoption and divine adoption part ways. This is a key difference. Sometimes, not always, but sometimes human parents choose a child to adopt based on something in that child. Maybe there's something in the child's appearance that sort of draws out their heart. Maybe it's the way the child responds to them, unique from the way the other children around respond to them. But God didn't choose to adopt us based on anything in us. Why did God choose to adopt us? Why did the eternal God set His love on us with the goal of adopting us? Well, the answer is the same reason He chose Israel. Deuteronomy 7, verses 7 and 8, the Lord did not set His love on you nor choose you because of things that were true about you, but because the Lord loved you. You see what Moses was saying to Israel, it's the same thing the New Testament says to us, God loved you because He loved you. He loved you because He chose to set His love on you completely outside of you. There was absolutely no reason in you for God to love you. There was no reason in you for God to set His mercy on you. There was no reason in you for God to adopt you. It was simply His gracious, sovereign decision. He sovereignly gave us His love. He bestowed it. What's the ultimate cause of our adoption? Scripture's answer is the sovereign grace of the Father. Adoption was the gracious purpose of the Father in choosing us, and His choice to adopt us was based solely on His sovereign, unconditional love. Unconditional meaning it was unconditioned on anything in us. A fifth truth about God's adopting love is that it is a secure love. It's a secure love. The word bestowed or given tells us that this is a gift. God's love can't be earned. It can't be purchased. The tense of the verb, though, it's captured well in our English text here, is the Greek perfect. It emphasizes that this gracious gift of love was given to us in the past, and it'll always be ours. It'll never be taken away. It's like Paul says in Romans 8, 38 and 39, I am convinced that nothing in life or death or eternity will separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are secure in the love of God. Finally, God's electing love, and I couldn't leave this out, is a saving love. It's not in our text. It's implied here. But turn over to chapter 4, 1 John 4, verse 9. By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us. And look at what this love did. It sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. The word propitiation means the satisfaction of God's justice. 
Jesus came to die, not because he deserved to die, but because we deserve to die. And he satisfied, as we sang earlier, the wrath of God against our sins by dying in our place. What love is this? The eternal Son of God, God's one-of-a-kind Son, was forsaken by the Father so that he might welcome us as his adopted children. What love? How should we respond to God's adopting love? Let me give you a couple of thoughts real quickly. First of all, live in wonder and praise about God's love. Look at the first word in our text, see. It's an exclamation. John wants us to stand in awe of the love of God that moved him to adopt us. As one writer puts it, it's meant to take our breath away, to startle and amaze us so that we're left gasping, what kind of love is this? That's the point. Be amazed. Stand in wonder. Secondly, meditate on God's love. And this is how you can be amazed. This is how you can stand in wonder. The word see actually means to take special notice, to consider, to ponder. Christians, why don't we get this? It's because we haven't taken the time to meditate on the love of God as it's revealed in the Scripture. We don't fully get it because we've not spent any time there. We've not poured over what God Himself has revealed. D. Edmund Hebert writes, the imperative calls upon the readers to take a heart-moving look at the amazing love which gave them membership in God's family. To see the Father's love aright is to sink down in adoration before it. It is beyond comprehension. Meditate on God's love. Thirdly, believe what God has revealed about His love for us. Believe God's revealed love. In 1 John 4, verses 17 and following, and we'll get there in our study, but in that text, John says, listen, you need to really come to a, a mature understanding of God's love for you because if you will do that, it will take away your fear of the judgment because you'll understand that God has set His love on you, and nothing's going to change that. So important to believe what God has revealed because many believers have never experienced to love anything like God's in any other relationship. Maybe you grew up in a home with a wonderful father, or maybe you've never had a decent human model of what this love looks like. But the question for you is this, if you've passed the test, if you're a true follower of Jesus Christ, are you willing to take God at His Word? Are you willing to believe that God loves you with this kind of love, even if you don't feel like it, and even if you've never experienced it anywhere else? God wants you to believe Him. He wants you to believe what He's revealed. And then finally, number four, give constant thanks to God for His love give constant thanks. This is everywhere in Scripture, but Psalm 118 verse 1 says, give thanks to the Lord for He is good, for His steadfast love is everlasting. When is the last time you gave God thanks for His everlasting love? That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part four of his series, The Christian's DNA. Tom will have part five next time, and we hope you'll join us then.
Well, Tom, before we end our time today, would you share a closing thought with us? You know, for me, Bill, I think the main lesson, the crucial insight that we have to get is that adoption is a sovereign work of God, that he's adopted us for his own purposes, for his own glory, as Paul puts it so beautifully in Ephesians 1, to the praise of the glory of his grace. God is completely responsible for who he has adopted into his family. And for us who have been adopted, for us who believed in Christ, this should bring us to our knees in in adoration and in worship of our God. I'm in God's family not because of anything that I've done, but solely because of Christ and what he's done. That's the message for anyone that repents of their sins and believes in Jesus Christ as Lord. We can not only be forgiven, but adopted by our Creator and Redeemer. Thanks, Tom. And friend, are you interested in attending the Master's Seminary? Countryside Bible Church, where Tom serves as pastor, is home to the Master's Seminary Dallas Distance location. Join Pastor Tom as he hosts the Master's Seminary Spring Preview Weekend, coming up March 23rd through the 26th, 2023, at Countryside. You'll interact with Tom, attend seminary classes, and participate in church life at Countryside. For more information and registration, go to thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals just like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do so by visiting thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth. Music